chokey. Hyperbole. Hyperbole. No. Okay. Okay. So here's a question. Do you think this is a feminist movie or not? Uh, <laughs> uh, I hadn't thought about it in that light at all. Yeah. Um, so here, here's some ideas that I have. So it's a majority female cast. Okay. And it targets specifically the superficiality of beauty and it targets it obviously in a negative way. But at the same time, that's all it's about. And that's all the characters talk about. Right. And the only two real positions of power that you see in the movie, aside from Christina Hendricks's character, who does the casting, are two male like fashion designers. So they're the ones who are organizing the shows and organizing the shoots. That's true. But that's kind of like how it is in the world of modeling, right? Is that the point that they're trying to make? Maybe, but what I find interesting is, is that a negative thing or not? Like, is the movie actually portraying strong female characters or no? Hmm. I don't know, but we will get to the bottom of it by the end of today's episode. (laughs) Welcome to Drunk Duck Cinema Club. We're answering all your hard-hitting societal questions. Yeah, well. Uh, We are at the pond. I am Michael Puglisi. And I am Allie Darling. This week's movie is The Neon Demon. The Neon Demon. Keanu Reeves is in it, but he's a dick. <laughs> hmm. Leave Keanu alone. I know. I, I don't understand. I mean, I, I don't know why he took this role, but it, he's good. He's good in it. Yeah, he's there for a bit, and he does he does his thing. Um, he's a surprise character. You don't expect him. I'll tell you that. I feel like they could have got anybody, but they got Keanu, so that's that's cool. Maybe it's- he'll do some more stuff uh with uh, Refn, some more neon neon things. Because that, that seems to be uh, this guy's thing now. His last All three of his, movies yeah. have been like that. Neon-y. Yeah, which I really like. I love that like super neon aesthetic with like it's the It's got like the vaporwave aesthetic. Sort yes. of like way back in the 80s. As if you're playing like the Tron video game or something. Like that's kind of the aesthetic he goes for. Yeah, which is like super fun and like cool. I like it. It's in right now as well. Yeah, it's like in, in music and uh, even some of the um, like, Spectre Vision films, like uh, like Mandy's kind of got that yep. sort of thing going. A lot of the movies we've been watching actually have very similar kind of angular and blue and reds and cloudy and neon-y and a lot of very similar aesthetics. Yeah, but, that's true. Like it, in this one, the, the like kind of there's a lot of triangle imagery, which is similar to Beyond the Black Rainbow. Yep. Um, and this movie also has that kind of weird, slow dialogue with like borderline nonsensical yeah, conversations. Like kind of hal- and like weird, like sort of hallucinatory visuals and stuff. Like yeah. it looks unbelievable. Like Mandy or a killing of a sacred deer. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I think we should just kind of get right into it then and talk about today's movie. So, The Neon Demon is a 2016 psychological thriller directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Shit. You think it's, think it's Winding? Is it's it Winding? winding. Yeah. I should have looked that up. Nicholas Winding Refn. <laughs> uh, Refn made his di- directorial debut with the 1996 Danish crime film Pusher. He would later go on to direct the English language films Bronson in 2008 and Drive in 2011, starring Ryan Gosling. Bronson that, is a wicked movie, by the way. Bronson is an excellent movie. It's very different. I'm not sure how he goes from Bronson to Drive. <laughs> Still very gritty. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like ultra low budget too. I think it was only a hundred thousand dollar movie, but very impressive what he was able to do with it. Yeah. That was a cool movie. So Drive was his first big financial and critical success in North America and featured the neon tinted visuals and synth soundtracks that would be present in Refn's next films, Only God Forgives, and of course, The Neon Demon. And this is his, well, I guess at the time, this was his first, is his first movie with an all-female cast. Pretty much all his other movies had had predominantly male casts. That was another thing that I had found that was interesting. Oh, yeah. How he sort of shoots them. And I did see a little quote that he had about his wife. And he said that he, one of the main reasons, so he dedicated this movie to his wife, Liv. He said one of the main reasons he casted as an all-female was because he wanted to make a movie his wife would go see. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but apparently she doesn't usually like his movies. So she likes this one. But anyhow. Interesting. So... The Neon Demon follows Jessie, a timid teenage girl from Georgia who has moved to Los Angeles to pursue a modeling career. Jessie's beauty is quickly recognized by people in the modeling industry, including a makeup artist, Ruby, and two older models, Sarah and Gigi. Jessie quickly signs with a modeling agency, has a successful photo shoot with a high-profile photographer, is casted in a fashion show by a successful designer, and begins adopting a narcissistic demeanor. And I guess by begins adopting a narcissistic, narcissistic demeanor, I mean instantly. Instantly de- develops one, yeah. She seems a little bit on the fence about it and uh, kind of has that sort of doe-eyed and sort of stupid naivety a little bit. But she really leans right into the narcissism once she gets some compliments. Even before that, though, she's kind of like rude. Like, you know how the girls in the washroom talking about like her... Um, her like uh, plastic surgery or whatever. Is that a compliment? Yeah. She's like, she calls me the bionic woman. It's like, is that a compliment? I think she's just naive because she's supposed to be 16. Oh, okay. So she wasn't trying to be rude. She was I don't just... think so. I think she's just like awkward and 16. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So Sarah and Gigi begin to resent Jesse's success while Ruby is infatuated with a young model. Ruby tries to sleep with Jesse, but is rejected. Ruby, Sarah, and Gigi then murder Jessie, eat her body, and bathe in her blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a pretty steep uphill all of a sudden. <laughs> when it goes, it goes. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, there's dread throughout the whole movie, but nothing to kind of... Prepare you for that. You don't think that's going to happen. You don't think that the, that violence is going to come out. Like, it's... The whole movie seems very tense and sort of like it's on the edge of violence, but nothing ever happens, really, until... She gets eaten by the other girls. Yeah. Which, so, like, it goes from zero to hundred, just yeah, like really that. fast. So, after eating Jesse, Sarah and Gigi drive to a photo shoot the next day featuring Gigi and another model, Annie. The photographer sees Sarah and gives her Annie's spot in the shoot. When Gigi becomes ill during the shoot, Sarah watches her throw up Jesse's eyeball and stab herself in the abdomen to rid herself of Jesse's remain. Sarah watches Gigi die and eats the eyeball and gets back to the photo shoot as the yeah, film she's ends. All business. Yeah, she's, she's all business. Yeah, it's uh, quite the shocking ending. Um, and that's not the final scene. There's also the scene with her. Uh, I think it's supposed to be Sarah walking in the desert. It looks at the like end. it's Sarah. So yeah, there's. It's interesting. Like this movie, it's funny because the movie is. Uh, it's not quite two hours long, but it's pretty long, and it 
that's the entire plot. Like there's, you could describe the entire plot in like three sentences. Like girl comes to town, does well, is killed by her rivals. Like that's the whole movie. But at the same time, like one of the, seems like one of the main criticisms of the movie is that the plot is kind of hard to follow and very kind of barely there. But the point of the movie, I don't think is the plot. Like it goes totally over like style over substance. So they're trying to tell the story more so with the visuals and with the setting and with the colors and they're not really trying to tell the story with dialogue necessarily. No, it's a visual and auditory journey for sure. And it does a great job of setting uh, a unique atmosphere to be enjoyed. Yeah. And I think it goes, it sort of goes in whatever direction it needs to, to make that point. Like I found one of the interesting things about the movie was that every single character was hyperbolic in a way. Like they are all over the top. So it's similar to a movie like The Princess Bride, which is just like every character is over the top. Like I'm the strongest man in the world. Like I'm the fastest man in the world. I'm the smartest man in the world. Like every single character is like the peak of themselves. Like Jesse is this like impossibly beautiful and the photographer guy is this like amazing visionary and like everybody is like amazing in some way. But even at the same time where you're like, life is not like that but that makes it more dramatic. Like the movie is more dramatic. Everybody's very one dimensional too. When you think about it. Yeah. Like Ruby is not a multi-dimensional character. She's like a horny lesbian. That's it. Yeah. Like there's not, and the models are portrayed as like vapid and mindless and have like one goal and one goal only, which is to be the prettiest girl in the room. And like, the only character that probably has some depth is Dean, like the sort of boyfriend that she has. He's like <laughs> the he actually, only one with any kind of moral compass. In any the movie. conscience of any kind. Yeah. Which is funny because like at the beginning of the movie, he looks like a total creep. You think he's going to murder her? Yeah. There's a, yeah. some interesting foreshadowing in the movie as well with the way that they portray Jesse. Like the opening scene is her kind of bathed in blood and the ending scene is others bathed in her blood. So it's kind of, it's a little bit of a callback. There's a lot of blood for stylistic effect, I think mm-hmm. not so much blood just for like violence. Like there's not a lot of yeah. violence in this movie except for the end where she gets kind of punched and that's about it. <laughs> um, how was this movie received? So there's interestingly enough. So it did not make a lot of money. Um, okay. It was uh, apparently the budget was 7 million and it made about 3.3 million. Wow, that's not good. Yeah. So it didn't uh, make money, really, and it didn't perform as well as they were expecting. On top of that, it is the second movie in a row to be watched at the Cannes Film Festival press showing and booed once it was done. It, uh, <laughs> like so the second movie of Reffens? Yes. Only God Forgives had the same reception. <laughs> Some people cheered, but most people booed. at both movies so it was not well received i must feel bad yeah and i mean a lot of people the main praises for the movie were that it was stylistically beautiful and that it was a like a uh they did a good job with the commentary but then the negative reviews were that it was pointless style because there's not a lot of plot and that the commentary was like misogynistic and like thin like just thin like doesn't have a lot of substance so Hard to say. It doesn't really seem like it was overall well received. It's beautiful to look at, which most people seem to agree on, but that's about it. They don't think that it's that that's enough. The aesthetics alone. I don't think so. I don't think that they. I don't think that he managed to hit enough of a, a character. 
development. Like, I don't know what it is, but you're not drawn to any of the characters and you're not, I don't know, you're not really invested in any of the characters. And I know it's supposed to be more of a commentary than it is a story, but it's, you think of a movie like Drive where you, you are invested with the main character, even though he doesn't have much going on. It's just the sort of the way that it's done. You feel for him a bit. Yeah, in that movie, you have a character who kind of goes through a transformation more slowly and rises to an occasion. Whereas yeah. in this movie, uh, like the character Jesse does go through a transformation, but it's it's a negative one. Well, and it's not really it's not a character arc so much as just a character flip on her. Yeah. Head. So overall, what, what how would you summarize the reception? Mixed. Mixed. I don't think it was well-received for Refn. I don't think it was seen as a success of his. Okay. Necessarily. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah. I liked it. I liked um, it as well. It's it's a, it's a definitely a weird movie. And it's kind of unnerving, but I do I do think it, it probably just struggles a bit with, with the plot. It's not enough. Okay, so before we get into some theories and other fun stuff, let's talk about our cocktail we've got here. So, it's tall, dark, sweet, and deadly. Yep. Uh, we use, well, okay, we got one shot of tequila, one shot of blue curacao, half shot of grenadine, half shot of lemon juice, poured all that into a highball glass filled with ice, topped it off with some grape juice to taste, stirred, add, added some silver sprinkles for a bizzle flex. Abysmal fleck. Ab- abysmal fleck. Abyssal flex. It looks. It looks like it's. <laughs> I okay. don't know. It looks like it's just from space. All right. It looks like it's from space. That's what it looks it's like. It's got like an oily kind of appearance going on. Yeah, it's got it's like cool. a weird oily, spacey, shimmery. Yeah. Yeah, I'd put this down a runway. <laughs> just like fuck it down a runway. <laughs> I, so. I don't know. I was imagining a, a cocktail fashion show. I don't know how it works. But anyways, uh, well, we've already tasted it, but we are going to do, uh, actually, we're, I'm going to edit that out. We haven't tried it yet. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see what it tastes like. can't wait to see like. what it's like. can't <laughs> wait right. to see. Okay, wait. Cheers. Oh. It's sweet. Honestly, it tastes like grape juice. Mm. It doesn't taste like booze in any capacity. No, it's uh, probably a good, like, summer drink. Yeah, yeah. actually, with lots of ice. Yeah, real Los Angeles. I also feel like if you wanted it to be a little bit more hoity-toity, you could mix it with like a lighter, more fruitier juice, like a grapefruit juice or something. Like something that's kind of like a little bit, not something you'd drink straight necessarily. I was thinking too, maybe like a little soda water, just kind of give it a bit of fizz. I like that though. Make make it a bit more of a a fizz kind of cocktail. It's good. And it's dark, which is pretty fitting with the theme of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't have a name for this one yet. Um, I think the, the best one we came up with so far was Runway Star or just the Neon Demon. That one's pretty good, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. 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 We'll yep. have to think about it. It's dark and stormy. That's what it is for sure. But Man, there's when, already I a won- drink oh, called yeah. the dark and stormy. <laughs> it already exists. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, man. Dark and stormy number two. Okay, got any cool uh, theories or facts about this one? Okay, so an interesting fact that I feel like I have to start with is apparently Refn has gone on record to state that he is colorblind. Okay. (laughs) Yes, in interviews he says that he only sees primary colors 
and contrast. So he can deter like he can visualize heavy contrast and primary colors and that's it. So all of these movies where he has this like enriched color backdrop for the aesthetic is apparently not something that he is absorbing the same way as we are. So I don't know what that means for the movie. I don't know if that's a lie. I don't even know how you prove that, but it's weird. Primary color. So he's only seeing. What? Oh, you're asking. (laughs) No, no. I'm just, I want to know if you know them. Oh, you don't know them. I know them. Red, Blue. blue and yellow. Yeah, red, blue, yeah. yellow. That's all he sees. So, which doesn't make any sense because all his movies are purple and green. So, <laughs> anyway. So, that's an interesting, weird one. Um, the other thing I found out is the movie was actually had a different title. It was supposed to be called I Walk With The Dead. And they okay. changed the name to The Neon Demon. Couldn't find out why, but they were supposed to be called I Walk With The Dead. It also went through several casting changes. Like, Al Fanning wasn't the original choice. For the main chick, it was some other girl who had conflicts. Okay. And then they had to recast. I think they originally wanted the guy who was playing, who plays the fashion designer, was supposed to be another chick who also couldn't do it. So they cast him instead. So the role was originally written for a woman. Okay. And then there was someone else who couldn't go through. So there was a bunch of casting changes in this movie. And how did, did you find anything on how Keanu Reeves got involved in this? No. No, nothing. I I did find out that the people who played Dean, apparently they went through like tons and tons of auditions for the guy playing Dean, who's like her boyfriendish kind of guy. Yeah. And almost, and it wasn't until that they referred, somebody had to refer an actor to Refn for him to like do an interview or do an audition with him and then cast him because everybody who came in tried to play Ryan Gosling in Drive. That's how they auditioned uh, the character. Okay. And that's not what they wanted. So they had to like... They ended up with a referral and got the guy that they did, but everybody came into play as like the guy from drive. Who's like supposed to be like so suave and cool. And Dean is kind of a little bit in over his head throughout the movie. Seems yeah, like he's kind of like a bit of a deer in headlights. He seems too. like an everyman as well. Like yeah. he seems like he's just trying to do the right thing. Like he pays off her debts and he like defends her and like, he just doesn't really seem like he's a predator, I guess. Yeah, he has no idea what kind of world he's, he's in. No. Um, so, and then the final thing is again, similar to, uh, primer, there's a bunch of, uh, Kubrick references in this movie. Well, like right at the start, right? The red rum. Well, the red rum, but also he does like the ref and does the, the Kubrick close up. Yeah. The pan out. Yeah. Where you're, where it's like a close up of somebody's face and it's supposed to be them at their most, uh, like insane point. Yeah. So there's, there's a bunch of like visual like shots that are very similar. Then there's the red rum mention with the lipstick. And then there's the 214 mention of the hotel room, the motel room that has the Lolita girl in it is 214. And then it's 214. That's from the shining. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. And then there's also, uh, the other thing that I found was that predominantly the movie takes a lot of the movie scenes take place in bathrooms, which is another kind of Kubrick thing to do. Was that like everybody gets killed in the bathroom? Like, Something like that. Like that's there's Tarantino film. There's thing. washroom scenes and that those are kind of a, a, a staple a little bit. Um, but two theories. Uh, one is that this movie is actually a story of three fairy tales. Okay. So they call out Keanu Reeves is the big bad wolf. Because he comes knocking on the door to break the door down. Doesn't get through that door, but gets through the other one. 
Okay. So that's one. Then the other one is Cinderella. The two models are the two wicked stepsisters who like kind of will do anything to get ahead of Cinderella, essentially, even though she's the real beauty and she's the real. Ah. So Jesse is the Cinderella. And the other one is, I think in the earliest tellings of the uh, Rapunzel fairy tale, the witch that tries to like, you know, keep Rapunzel for her hair and like her beauty is actually like a more uh, traditional interpretation of a witch, which is the type of witch that, you know, kills and bathes in the blood of virgins essentially. So that's the final one is that Ruby is the witch at the end. I did find that interesting how she had a bunch of these like crazy tattoos. Those culty, like occult tattoos and stuff. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And there's a bit of imagery as well. Like the way that they do, like uh, when she, it's hard to say whether or not she dies, but she has that weird like menstruation under the full moon, which is very yeah. like witchy, like occult kind of, I don't know, vibes that are going on there. So there's like definitely a weird thing like that. But that was an interesting one that I found of the, sort of being fairy tales. I saw a lot of stuff about it being like a coven. When you first brought up the fairy tale thing, I kind of like rolled my eyes. I was like, oh, I don't know Stupid. about that. Yeah. But like I read... Something like an interview with Refn where he said like he wanted to make the movie like a fairy tale with Los Angeles as the backdrop. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, so I I can kind of see that maybe. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. And then the other uh, there's a couple other little things. But the other one that I saw that was interesting was the way that like the predator and prey theory in the in the book so or in the in the movie they really do a good job of making everything everybody is predator or prey and there's imagery in the scenes that kind of reinforce this so there's the mountain lion which is a real threat of danger it's a real mountain lion uh i did read that apparently mountain lions do happen to wander into people's homes in los angeles in pasadena it has happened so they're native to that area so that can happen um but the other thing is so there's the the mountain lion but then when she gets to when jesse goes to ruby's house you see ruby in a backdrop of a leopard which is again that yeah prey right and a solitary hunter and then once they kill jesse ruby is then seen in the backdrop behind her is a wolf which is a pack hunter and that's the the three girls together uh, like killing ruby so it's there's a lot of like uh prey and predator instinct and sort of like if you're not a predator then you're my prey and okay there's the very brief dialogue that there is about that is you know the girls in the washroom asking jesse like are you like, can she get higher than me? Like, who is she, so, who is she going to be? And is she going to be better than me? So are they trying to size her up and figure out, is she, like, food or yeah. friend? Yeah. Food or foe. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah. No, exactly. So there's there's a lot of that in there. And uh, essentially, once Jesse kind of comes into her own, they they I saw somebody qualify the scene that you're talking about on the runway where the scene that she falls in love with herself. That's what people call that. Cause she goes from the blue, which is the predominant kind of colorway in the beginning of the movie yeah. to this very heavy, like black void. And then she sort of reemerges as in this red, like bathed in red. And the rest of the movie is predominantly red. And it's supposed to be the turning point between when she's, you know, kind of uncertain then to where she is now like fully narcissistic. Like she decides she's in love with herself okay. in that scene. And then after that, she's kind of just a bitch. She's buying into her own hype. Yeah, exactly. You can never, exactly. Do, never buy in your own hype. Yeah. And then that's like, after that scene, she seems like she's, I don't 
don't know. It kind of flip flops a little bit, but it seems like after that scene, she's very much believes that she is what everybody says she is. Like she is the goddess, yeah. whatever. So she, everything she does, she does with confidence after that point, even when she's like shutting Ruby down, like she's like kind of vulnerable, but she does it with much yeah. more like um, assertiveness. Yeah, and she stops trying to be friends, too. Like, earlier in the movie, she's trying to be like, I thought you were good, and, like, you know, like, I think you look nice, like, blah, blah, blah. So, like, she's trying to be nice. Like, she's just not as a dog-eat-dog, I think, as she ends up as, so. But that was all I found for theories. Did you have theories? Um, No, I I didn't. I'm not going to lie. I didn't go too hard into the plot for this one there's not a lot of plot to go dive into i've kind of been conditioned from his other two movies to not really look too hard into the plot i just really like the aesthetics i like the way it looks like the way it sounds like the soundtrack the soundtrack is amazing it's all like i'm gonna go listen to that like on my uh on On your free time like it's amazing and um I'm not sure if this is a movie that I necessarily want to like see again, but I would love to see more from Refn with this style, maybe like a bit more substance plot wise. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I got, I can get a bit more out of it now with the stuff that you've told me, but I still feel like that's very, like it, it's not very complicated. No. And it is, plot. like I said, like it's just supposed to be style over substance. Like it's mm. just, it's, beautiful and the shots are mesmerizing and like the color and the sets and the costumes and everything like it's just beautiful and I remember saying when we were watching it like he really picked the best industry to make a movie about because this is the industry with the crazy fucking visuals everywhere so anyhow it's just a it's an interesting movie I liked it I don't know if I would watch it again but I think I could recommend it to people yeah there's definitely a crowd for this movie um, especially people, uh, anybody who's like pursuing filmmaking or like music video yeah. production, maybe like this is totally your jam or people who like, I don't know, um, taking a nice trip once in a while. Yeah. Well, I also Get real fe- baked and watch it. Go ahead. Just be sad. Just be, I think that would just <laughs> make me so sad. Um, but the other thing is I think this movie is one of the movies you could watch with no sound and it would still be good. Like, I feel like you could probably watch this whole movie with no sound and still get what's going on. You know, yeah, like, does actually, the dialogue do anything, really? B- between, like, the body language and the way things are shot, like... And how slow it moves? Yeah. Like, I think you could absorb all of it with no dialogue, which is really interesting. All right, well, I guess we're going to rewatch it with no sound. No sound. Yeah. We'll miss out on the soundtrack. We should get, try to get a version that has no dialogue, but still has sound. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, That'd what, what they're saying is fucking relevant anyways, so... Yeah, it's true. Doesn't matter. <laughs> all right, well, you know what? Let's, uh, let's give some some ratings for this, then. So let's do skulls for violence. We're going to use it for violence and um, uh, tension. Tension. Yeah. So this this movie, again, there there's not a lot of violence, but I feel like it teeters on violence for the entire movie. And then there is violence. And then when there is violence, it's no violence to straight up cannibalism. So it's like Mm -hmm. zero to 100. So I would give it a three. Yeah, we're going to go with a three for this one. Um, what with all the corpse grinding and whatnot. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, yeah, there's also this general uneasiness, I think. With that whole thing. Yeah. Um, so blood for uh, violence and gore and whatnot. I would give this a four because when there is gore, 
it's a lot of it. Like they're literally yeah. bathing in blood. They're drenched in blood. Like it's she pukes up a whole eyeball. Yeah. She pukes up an eyeball, which the other girl then eats. Like it's yeah, it doesn't. It's pretty. It's pretty gory. Didn't even chew. All right. I over. don't think you have to chew an eyeball. Uh, I think the main thing that would get in your way about chewing an eyeball, it would be the size, but they're squishy. Like they don't need to be chewed. I don't think. Right. It's not a grape. Uh, yeah. I also, uh, I know one of the things when we were watching the movie was that it's weird that the eyeball's not digested. Yes. I heard somebody claim that that was because of the purity of Jesse's beauty. And the, that was the reason that Gigi, as the as the model with all the plastic surgery, couldn't digest is it, her. Is it Gigi? Yeah. Oh, shit. I've been calling her Gigi. Oh, I don't know. Maybe, it's, right. maybe it's Gigi. Yeah. Anyways, that's all. Uh, overall, we're going to give this one a three out of five. Yeah, it's yeah. good. And I liked it, but it's not amazing. No, I mean, I drive. If you like the style of movie, you like ref and stuff, drive still top dog in our eyes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we put this one a bit ahead of only God forgives. Um, just cause I mean, it's this one's similar to only God forgives. And the fact that it is also style over substance yeah. with like, a kind of um, not, um, what am I trying to say? Like the plot's got like a little bit to read between the lines, but it's mostly style over substance. Yeah. And the style in this movie is just better. I like more, yeah. And only God forgives. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's, that's it. That's it. the neon demon, man. Man? Yeah. Woman? It's mostly ladies. That's a good point. Forgive me. Um, so. That's it. We'll put links up on the website. Yeah, so you guys can look at some stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, we'll also put some visuals up because I think that one of the main draws of this movie is the visuals and it's worth worth looking at. They're beautiful. Yeah. And maybe we can like, uh, can we link to the soundtrack? Yeah, is that possible? for sure. Yeah, we should do that. That's something some we can do. Fucking great tunes. Yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, it's amazing music and good movie. All right. Overall. Um, thank you again for listening. If you haven't already, please follow us on Facebook, on Instagram at Drunk Duck Cinema Club. You can find us at our website at drunkduckcinemaclub.com. And on Spotify. And on Spotify and like a bunch of other podcast Website hosting services. Yeah, but not SoundCloud. I'm not going to update that anymore because SoundCloud fucking sucks. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Good to know. <laughs> All right. Well, um, that's quacking for you. Join us later when I, I have to leave again. That's <laughs>